listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. This week, we have a very special edition of Monsters Advocate, because I'm recording in New England, at my parents' very echoey and definitely haunted house. So I apologize in advance if the audio quality is a little different than normal. Possible EVPs aside, let's continue the fun by taking a look at East Asian dragons and the power of the number nine, the significance of toes, and dragon-human... relations. The most well-known type of East Asian dragon is the lung, but these are not the only types of dragons in the area. For example, in Korean mythology there exists a type of lesser dragon called emujis that have the potential to become fully-fledged dragons. In Japan, in addition to the Japanese lung, there also exists the uwabami giant serpent-class dragons that could fly and control wind and rain like a lung, but are much more predisposed toward eating humans. If you ever come across an East Asian hero slaying a dragon, chances are that the dragon they are slaying is not a lung, but rather a serpent-class dragon. Which can get kind of confusing when the lung is usually serpentine in nature itself. For example, take Yamada no Orochi. Yamada no Orochi was a gigantic uobami, but with the key distinction of having eight heads and eight tails. Yamata no Orochi is described as having eyes as red as winter cherries, and being so large that he filled the length and space of eight hills and the eight valleys between them. As I mentioned before, uobami not having the divine nature of lung dragons, are much less discriminating in their appetites. Uobami can fly, and one of their favorite pastimes is swooping down on unsuspecting prey and consuming them in one bite. In addition to humans, also on the menu are stags, bears, and horses, usually with riders still on board. Now imagine the Uobami is gigantic and has eight heads, and you can see why Yamada no Orochi was somewhat distressing to the human population of Japan. Two deities, Ashi Nadzuchi and Te Nadzuchi, offered their eight daughters in exchange for an end to Yamata no Orochi's steady consumption of the countryside. And Yamada no Orochi accepted, eating one daughter annually for seven years which must have made the holidays a real bummer. Now, I know what you're thinking. One daughter a year is not a lot of food for a dragon. But we have to remember Yamada no Orochi is a serpent-class dragon. Most species of snake can lower their metabolic rates by up to 70%. And it's not unusual for some species to go months without eating, sometimes even six months. 
On top of that, another connotation of the word uobami is giant python. Pythons, as ambush predators usually living in areas with low concentrations of prey species, are especially adept at surviving prolonged periods of time without eating. Factor in Yamada's size, larger animals can go longer without eating, and as long as this dragon is occasionally catching a stray bear or stag, eating only one daughter a year would be perfectly acceptable. On the eighth year, the Uobami was on his way to consume the final daughter when he came across eight bowls of sake. Now, being python-like in nature, it's surprising that Yamada went in for this. Most reptiles, especially snakes, will actively avoid the smell of alcohol. But there is a trend in Japanese mythology that mystical beings will always accept sake as an offering, and apparently, uobamis are no exception. Yamada no Orochi's heads each drank one of the eight bowls of alcohol, and having only one stomach, the dragon got so drunk that he decided to just pass out right there. While the dragon was sleeping it off, the storm god Suza no'o emerged from hiding and cut off each of Yamada's heads one at a time, and for good measure, also its tails. Out of the eighth tail, the god pulled the legendary sword Murakumo no Surugi, and just like that, the dragon was defeated, much to the relief of the eighth daughter. In Korean mythology, there also exists a serpent-class pseudo-dragon, but unlike the Uobami, it spends less time trying to eat people and more time trying to better itself. The Imuji is described as a hornless, giant, python-like creature that can be found in caves or water. This creature is, depending on who you ask, either a creature cursed or a creature that has not yet reached its full potential. In some legends, the Imuji are cursed dragons that will never become true divine beasts like the Lung. In other legends, the Imuji are just waiting for their chance to become dragons. And one easy way of becoming a true dragon is catching a Chintamani that falls from heaven. A Chintamani is the sometimes fiery orb that Lung dragons are occasionally depicted as carrying. You know, the one that kind of looks like a pearl and is sometimes called a pearl of wisdom. A Chintamani is a wish-fulfilling jewel that grants the bearer omnipotence and creation at will. In Korean tradition, only four-toed dragons are wise and worthy enough to wield the stone because, and I mean this literally, they can fully grasp it. Unlike three-toed dragons, which have no thumb claw, and thus can't get a firm grasp on the orb. We'll get into why this would pose a problem for Japanese dragons, but I would like to point out that if these jewels are falling from heaven at all, it's possible four toes aren't enough to fully grasp them either. Or maybe the four-toed lungs of Korea are just trying to give the emoji a chance. After all, dragonhood is much more fluid in the East Asian dragon than it is in Indo-European dragons. For Indo-European dragons, generally the dragon has either always been a dragon, such as the Lambton Worm, or another creature is unwittingly turned into a dragon, such as Fafnir. 
creatures that aren't dragons don't want to become dragons. By contrast, becoming a dragon in East Asian cultures is not only something worthy of aspiration, it's sometimes possible. Take the carp. In some East Asian myths, a carp of a special determination tries to leap to the headwaters of the Yellow River, but encounters a waterfall at the end of the river. Determined, the carp persists to leap up the waterfall, despite getting continuously pushed back, and this commitment to its cause attracts the attention of lung dragons flying by, who reward the carp for its extraordinary efforts by turning it into a dragon like themselves. This is why the Pokemon Magikarp evolves into Gyarados, and this is also one of the reasons someone of extraordinary persistence or ability might be compared to a dragon. If even a carp can become a divine being, then why not a human as well? Before we follow that train of thought further, let's get into the nitty-gritty details of lungs in Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, and Korean mythology. For starters, while the lung is of course a true dragon, the East Asian dragon might actually be better classified as a chimera. What I mean by this is nothing about the physiology of the lung is accidental. And like many creatures in East Asian mythology, the lung is an amalgamation of other animals. The following description is an account of the Han Dynasty scholar Wang Fu of what characteristics make up an authentic Chinese lung. His antlers resemble those of a stag, his head, that of a camel, his eyes, those of a demon, his neck, that of a snake, his belly, of a clam, his scales, those of a carp, his claws, those of an eagle, his soles, as in the soles of his feet, those of a tiger, and his ears, those of a cow. That's right, if we interpret this description literally, lung dragons are supposed to have the toe beans of a tiger, and I demand to see more art of that. Really, I think we've been deprived long enough. But Kaelin, some of you might be saying, mythical creatures are always described using the parts of other animals. The Indo-European dragon is described as having the wings of a bat and the paws of a lion. And that's true. But for the lung, the amalgamation of creatures that make a lung are more than just the physical characteristics that make up a whole dragon, but are meant to be taken as individual parts that signify the best of each of the individual creatures, combined into one divine being. Take the Japanese lung. In Japan, the lung is composed of elements of each of the animals of the zodiac, described instead as having the whiskers of the rat, the face and horns of the ox, the claws and teeth of the tiger, the belly of the rabbit, the body of the snake, the legs of the horse, the goatee of the goat, the wood of the monkey, the crest of the rooster, the ears of the dog, and the snout of the pig. By taking these components on an individual level, rather than just as descriptors for how the dragon appears, the lung becomes a representer of the zodiac, representing each of the animals of the zodiac in itself. 
In Vietnam, the lung is a little simpler, combining instead the head of a crocodile, the body of a snake, the fur of a cat, the whiskers of a rat, and the flight and occasional plumage of a bird. Because of the traditional proximity of the Vietnamese people to rivers, crocodiles are considered Giao Long, the first Vietnamese dragons. Over time, crocodile dragons became dragons with the head of a crocodile and the body of a snake, and then gradually the head became shorter and the creature began to incorporate the fur and whiskers of a cat. The modern-day Vietnamese lung more closely resembles the Japanese lung, but in my opinion, the species is still distinct in having some of the most beautiful crests. Where other species distinguish themselves are number of toes and number of scales. It's a somewhat well-known fact that originally, five-toed golden Chinese lung dragons have been reserved exclusively for the emperor and people of great importance, whereas two- to four-toed dragons were the commoner's dragon and anyone seen using the five-toed dragon faced possible execution. What you may not know, though, is that Chinese lungs have exactly 117 scales, 81 of which are yang essence, and 36 of which are yin essence. The number is so exact because 117, 81, and 36 are all divisible by 9, which is a divine number in Chinese mythology, much like how 7 is a divine number in Judeo-Christian texts. Korean lungs also follow this pattern, with dragons having 81 scales on their backs. Because both the common Chinese lung and Korean lung have four toes on each foot, if you really want to know where a dragon is from, you may have to count the scales. Luckily for people who hate counting, the Japanese lung is normally depicted with three toes, and thus no scale counting is required to distinguish it from other species. The last thing I want to touch base on about the lung dragon is somewhat indelicate, but fascinating, and that's the lung's ability to take human form. The lung is one of few species of dragon that has always been able to voluntarily take the form of a human and change back at will, and that's no accident. The lung, having been established as a divine being, is also associated with water, and being divine and associated with water, a life-giving boon to all early civilizations, the lung has been a pretty important figure in mythology for many East Asian cultures for a very long time. And like all leaders, early leaders of China, Japan, and Korea wanted to associate themselves with this powerful divine being. But it's tough to pretend you're a divine being without any magical powers to back it up. So what's another way to borrow power from somewhere else? Well, a good option is to say you're related. Japanese, Chinese, and Korean mythology each have an origin myth in which a dragon in human form, usually the Dragon King's daughter, has relations with a hero who can trace his origins back to important gods and goddesses, and they have many children. And these children bear out a lineage the emperor at the time can use to trace back to himself. There are also quite a few legends in Chinese mythology in which a man meets a mysterious woman, 
and they get married and live happily, but the wife has one rule, and that's for one day each week he must leave her alone and not spy on her. The man always ends up spying, and the woman is revealed to be a dragon in human form, who leaves the man for betraying her trust. But usually that's after they've had a few children, all of which go on to do incredible things. These and many more stories like them are why Chinese people sometimes refer to themselves as descendants of the dragon. And truthfully, this is the real reason the lung stands out among dragons. Not for its divinity or power, but rather the intimate connection of these dragons to their respective peoples. Lung dragons are associated with rain and agriculture, the sea and good fortune. Chinese, Japanese, and Korean mythology link the origins of their people to dragons, and a pattern on a dragon's hide is sourced as the inspiration for the Chinese system of writing. Modern-day firefighters will get tattoos of the lung as protection against fire. Modern-day Yakuza get tattoos of the lung to symbolize divine power and good fortune. Chinese people for generations have used the fossilized remains of prehistoric creatures found in their rich fossil beds in traditional medicine under the name dragon bones. And some dinosaurs discovered in China carry the binomial name Meilong, or Sleeping Dragon. Even the video game series Legend of Zelda owes something to the lung. According to legend, Tokimasa Hojo, the first Hojo regent of the Kamakura Shogunate, visited a cave in Enoshima Island that was rumored to be home to a dragon. He prayed to the dragon living in the cave to grant prosperity to the Hojo clan. The wish was granted, and as a token of this promise, the dragon left behind three scales. These three triangular scales were never forgotten, and in fact, currently make up the Hojo family crest, which is known as the Mitsu Oroko, or, to fans of The Legend of Zelda, the Triforce. this week for lungs, emuji, and oabami. Next episode will be dragons of the Hawaiian islands and other places, and will be our final episode on dragons for now. Unless, of course, you are a patron, because, oh boy, do I have some extra dragon content for you. If you enjoyed this episode, or want to become a true dragon yourself, I've hidden a Chitamani in the show notes. Best of luck! Intro and outro music were done by Obami bartender Scott Ethington. Find more bubbly tunes at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.